All right, grab your seats. Welcome to the house of the Lord. 6.56 on Friday night, we're doing good. Ready to preach the word of God. So gather on in. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter two. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. We've got you. Uh, What I'm gonna do is read these 14 verses and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. For those of you who are new, this is the season of Advent, season where we're preparing our hearts for the arrival of the Christ child. So tonight's gonna be an Advent sermon out of Luke chapter two. So hear the word of the Lord. I'll read it and then we'll pray. It says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So this guy called Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Bethlehem, this is not in my notes, but it means the house of bread. Think about that. God's gonna feed the world by this baby who comes into Bethlehem. To Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David, this Joseph guy did. So he went there to register with Mary, who was his fiance, pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. This was kind of out of order. (laughs) People were watching them. Oh, we know they aren't married, but we see. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, and I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you to prove it. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, do that scene all over again tonight. We pray that the angels would ascend and descend here. We pray that this would be an open heaven. We pray that we would sense the holy presence of the almighty God. We pray that we would hear the proclamation afresh as if for the first time. We weren't there that night, but do it all over again tonight by the power of your spirit. I pray that every single person in this room would be moved by the word of God. I pray that I would decrease so that you might increase. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way. We, we've got plans and I've studied and we, we got notes and all the stuff. Do what you want, God. Do what you want. So, Lord, we invite you tonight by your spirit to have your way in this place in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Sometimes the call of God presses you. 
puts you at risk. Have you ever had the call of God put you at risk? It, you want me to do what? Really? Welcome to Mother Teresa's life. Just being a simple nun, Calcutta, India, doing her thing, locked in the convent's walls. And one day she's sitting, kneeling in front of her window in the hot Indian weather, and the convent was locked up and she couldn't go outside. It was actually the, the rules. You can't, the nuns can't leave this place. We're gonna pray here and we're gonna do work here, but you can't go out, it's too dangerous. And she's in prayer and she's looking out her window and sees a man dying in slum streets. And sometimes the call of God presses you and puts you at risk. Welcome to Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. Some of you have fostered or adopted children and you remember the season where you felt the Holy Spirit tightening the screws on your heart. And you, you might have said something like, are we really gonna do this? I have some dear friends, they're now one in the late 70s and him early 80s and been married 60 years, amazing saints, and they were coming to then their end of their working years, and they had done really well. They'd really worked hard and saved up, and they could retire early, like early, early. We can see the runway, and we're coming in for a great landing, and we're going to golf, and we're going to take trips, and we're going to take care of ourselves, and the Holy Spirit let them know about this little baby that needed a place to stay for a couple weeks, newborn baby. And they said, we'll say yes, yes, one time. We'll, we'll take that one baby in. And a hundred children later, they spent 15 years with revolving doors at their homes. And the hospital would call and say, it's time. And the agency would call and say, it's time. And they'd go to Walmart and restock their diapers. And they'd go and they'd wash the sheets. And they just busted their tails serving. Sometimes the call of God presses you and puts you at risk. Hey, Mary. Hey, Joseph, we know you've got plans. Scrap all that. Mary and Joseph obey, and the governor calls this census, and they've got to move and travel. There's no family around. They've left their homeland, their ancestral place. And they're going back to this place likely that they'd never really been or hadn't lived there at least. And there's no room. There's, no, there's not much help. They're, they're away from family and friends. There's no comfort. There's no opportunity to nest. Mary's just beginning to really get ready. She's, it's time. It's time. She can't paint the walls blue. She can't make preparations. She's away from her place and away from her people. And this is what the call of God sometimes does. Does to us, puts us at risk. Mary would have felt the sting of the patriarchal society in which she lived, and no one was willing to make room for a young pregnant woman. There was no room for them in the inn. Why? Like, we, we blow past this and we miss the details, but I think it'll make sense to us. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world and everyone went to their own town to register. There was a census in Bethlehem, masses of people traveling, like hordes of people out making pilgrimage. Everyone's packing up. We don't know how long this will take. We don't know how long the line's going to be at the government office. We better prepare for a long stretch. We better have food. Bring in your little kids. And they're going to this town, Bethlehem. And we, we know what this is like. And the VRBO market was flooded. Airbnbs just like, and we know what happens when the demand spikes. 
what happens with it? Prices spike. And they go to Bethlehem. She's ready to pop. They go to this place, and it says there was no room for them in the end, like all of the houses, because masses of people were now flooding into Bethlehem, and there was a price gouge. And we know how economics works, right? So we're seeing this with their story, and the legend has that the best place they could find was a barn, but it was more probably a cave that Mary and Joseph went into. I was just recently in Bethlehem this summer. I was, I was there, in, we got in, it's Palestinian territory, and I wanna show you this picture of a cave just outside of Bethlehem on the outskirts. These are everywhere. So if you're running through town and you've got your, your money and you're trying to negotiate for a place but there's a price spike because everyone's moved in and there's just not, like, they weren't, there was no compassion, there was no paying attention, this was the time to make money if you had five or six VRBOs. And these people, like, sorry, we were all booked out. And so they go outside of town, out into the hills and probably climb up in something just like this because this is the only place they could find to have a baby. There was no room for them in the end, whatever it was, it was very different than our sterilized, organized, sanitized hospitals. I remember Lisa waiting to give birth to our three children. And I, I mean, the flood of adrenaline. And I was just in the room. I did, I mean, I was just there, you know. I was just eye candy, you know, for, for Lisa. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, guys. Everyone stop it. Stop it right now. She's there locked in, right, just, I mean, focused. And all I wanted was her to have as, as little chaos as possible because the storm of adrenaline and the rush of this moment had come upon her and upon all of us. Like, you want to try to minimize any of the chaos because you know the work is going to be hard enough. And Mary and Joseph, on the other hand, are in this moment feeling the sting of rejection. Not helpers. Not people running to and what do you need and catering, all the help. No, they're out there tucked in one of these holes in the rock and they're, God, what have you done to us? Sometimes the call of God presses you. The Advent text that we've just read here makes us ask, will we make room for vulnerable people? Will we make room? But it goes further because the Bible has scores of stories of strangers. Like Mary and Joseph are strangers in Bethlehem. Nobody knows them. They don't have a family connection. They can't work a deal. They have no levers to pull. They're just out walking the lonely streets and getting rejected place after place after place. The Bible's got scores of stories of strangers. And the overall theme of them is when you show mercy to strangers, somehow you're showing mercy to God. If someone had taken in Mary and Joseph that night, they would have been taking in God. And all these stranger stories have this theme, like it looks like this person's a little shady and I don't know if I can do this and who are you and you don't belong here. But when you say yes to vulnerable people, when you open your heart, when you open your home, when you find a room to bring a vulnerable person into, to give them mercy and to give them grace, you're actually showing mercy and grace to God himself. And I'll just say, you'll learn a lot about a person by watching how they treat people who can't do anything for them. And Christians are the ones who ought to be first in line to do our very best for people who can't do anything for us. We do this in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen tonight, church? Amen. Then the next characters in the story are these lonely shepherds. And I, again, was out in these fields. And look at this picture of this old shepherd out in Bethlehem. 
keeping watch over their flocks at night. They are the scum of the earth. They are the stinky ones. They are the ones who are disenfranchised. They're the ones working the hourly wage, but it's not even minimum wage. They're just like scraping by and, and, and it, they're just under the stars every night by themselves with their flocks and their herds. They're actually making, they're, they're running someone else's business, which I get it, you gotta, but here they are by themselves and this story reminds us that God's message is announced at the margins. It always includes the lowly, the poor, the forgotten, the under-resourced, and it situates them as major players in the center of God's saving work. Can't you thank God that he is the God that goes out to the far corners and he grabs all of us and he brings us into the center of the story? And when we read about the shepherds, we read about the God of the underdog. The God who celebrates, the, the God who starts on the, the periphery and he moves with the lowly and the outcast and the forgotten and he brings them into the center as the ones who are the great announcers of his mercy. They have heard the good news and they're the bearers of the good news. The shepherds come in with the announcement. And tonight I've got good news for any of you that feel disabused and disenfranchised, depressed and, and in despair. You're left to yourselves. You feel like you're fighting on your own. You feel like you don't fit. You feel like you're on the fringes. You feel like you're, you walk into every room and no one's going to notice you. I'll tell you tonight, the God who notices the shepherds is the God who will also notice you and he will bring you into the center of his salvation work. Amen. The God of the disenfranchised. Have you ever felt like you don't fit in? Well, I've got good news for you. God's got work for you to do. It's precisely people like you that he uses to bring about his purposes in the earth. And this story introduces us to the God who interrupts people. Everywhere you look in this story in Luke 2, Mary's interrupted and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah and the wise men and Simeon and Anna in the temple and and he interrupts them with good news. A son is coming, salvation and healing and redemption. And Israel is, the long-awaited Messiah is coming. And he's gonna bring in the Gentiles. He's gonna bring in the outsiders. And the shepherds are keeping their watch and they're terrified. But what I love about this, God's interruptions, they always start with terrified people, but by the end of the story, they've become energized people. Mary and Joseph are uh, fragile and on the brink. By the end, like you follow this and they're, they're owning it. The shepherds and what in the world? And they're racing into town and, and Simeon and Anna and they're owning it. And some of you have been terrified by what God asked you to do. But my friends who I told you about who've taken in over 100 kids, they would say that's the best decision we've ever made. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't not have made that decision were we to have it again. They started out terrified. They've ended up energized and they've, it shaped their entire lives. And you see this in the text, Luke 2, 10 through 11. Do not be afraid. I give you great news, good news of great joy. And the Greek word there is karan, that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you and he is Christ the Lord. The Greek word karan there means an event that calls for joy or the experience of overwhelming gladness. It's this it's this eruption of God at work. The people who were terrified, now they get the announcement of great joy and then you see their lives bounced into that kind of great joy. They hear this announcement and what do they do? They run into town. It says, when the angels had left them 
and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. Let us go now to Bethlehem. So they went with haste. These are the two phrases. And what I want us to just recognize tonight and name and take a little time thinking about is that some of us have fallen asleep. We've, we've become lethargic. We've become slack in our spirits. We've become lazy. We, maybe some of it is, is we've, just, we've just gotten distracted or bored. Maybe some of it is just because of deep pain and despair. I get that. When that happens to us, what it does is it, it, it often hunches us over and, and we've just got to circle the wagons and just make it another day. I'm not saying that this is a strange thing that happens to us. It's a normal thing that happens to us. But when we fall asleep and that lethargy and that sort of unholy malaise comes over our lives, we're overwhelmed with despair. We're, we're slunk out in the fields keeping watch over our little story at night, but there's not any joy. There's just kind of darkness and just, just punching the clock and checking the box and we've got to keep the flock together and just another night out and keeping track of this stupid thing. That, and, and, and all of a sudden, the angel appears to them and, and I think it's, it's time for the angels to appear to us tonight with this news. Do you see the societal sadness that's all around us? Do you see that we have so much, but we have become so unsatisfied? I mean, really, life, life can be hard, and when you look around the world, the comfort, the joy, the strength, the provision that we have, we are an unprecedentedly rich society. Like we, we, we are the deepest pockets in human history, and we seem so unsatisfied about it. This is why we love recreational drugs. What are we chasing? We're chasing a hit, something that will what? Wake us back up. A zap, just if, even if it's momentary, even if we know it's not gonna last, even if we know it's gonna wear off, even if we know we're gonna pay for it in the morning. People are trying to find joy. People are trying to find Quran. People are trying to find that explosive happiness that comes from the announcement that God is on the scene and he's at work. And because we've sort of fallen asleep, we're having to try to zap ourselves back awake with drink and with drugs and with images that are profane. Why? Just to get a quick moment of stimulation because we know that we've lost the joy that will carry us through. Am I living in the same world as you? Do you see it around you, the societal unhappiness and sadness? And these shepherds are out, slunk over, minding their own business, maybe mailing it in. That would be an easy job to just mail it in. And all of a sudden, God arrives with salvation. And salvation shakes things up. Salvation ruffles their feathers. Salvation, salvation asks something of them. It presses them. It, they have to respond. Salvation lifts your head from, from looking down in despair. Salvation, they're, they're glory to God in the highest. The darkness is lit up with the light of God's glory and God's goodness. And I'm here tonight to just tell you that that's on the table for all of us. 
in, in a society that has fallen asleep at the wheel, it, it, it really even in a church at times, capital C church, how many Christians do you know that are, are, are just kind of, and tonight the angels are here to say, glory to God, and lift your heads, it's time to go. I bring you great news of great joy that will be for all the people today, 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 salvation has come in Christ the Lord. Salvation doesn't look like some abstract concept of just forgiveness of sins, something you can't really see. It's just kind of out there in the ether. It's a nice feeling in my soul, and salvation is so precious. No, salvation looks like waking back up. It looks like energy. It looks like movement. It looks like going on pilgrimage like Mary and Joseph did and like the shepherds did. They, they started moving when God was at work. He woke them up and he got them going on pilgrimage again, something to live for, a reason to get out of bed in the morning, a reason to just kind of pour cold water on your face and shout because the glory of God is here and there's a new day that has dawned. This is what salvation does. Salvation overturns the status quo of our daily humdrum societal sadness existence and all of a sudden we're looking up at the skies and we see things that other people don't see. Glory to God. In the highest, you can go back into the same job different. Glory to God in the highest. And you can have same, same circumstances. Your life doesn't have to dramatically change or your circumstances don't, but you can dramatically change because the song of the angels has gotten into your being and your head has been lifted high. Friends, we need this kind of salvation tonight. We need this kind of light in the darkness tonight. We need this kind of true hit of ecstasy, ecstasy that will carry us forward. We need this kind of invasion from on high that will wake us back up tonight. And tonight, so many of us have darkness all around us. So many of us are living in that kind of despair Walking the streets and it doesn't feel like there's any room for you in the end. Keeping watch of your life out in the fields and it doesn't seem like it'll ever change. And tonight, the Spirit of the Lord is here to do something fresh. Tonight, the Spirit of the Lord is here to wake us back up. Tonight, even if you feel like you're tucked away out in the hillside cave and nobody notices and there's no comfort and there's no help and there's no... Tonight I'm here to tell you that God is on the move and salvation is coming. Mary and Joseph found themselves in a pitch black situation and then the light of the world came and the shepherds, the light of the world came and what happens when the light of the world comes? We, we wake back up and so tonight... I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would wake all of us back up. I'm praying that the despair would be rolled away. I'm praying that even if it just feels like a flicker, that you'd see the light that's on the horizon, that, that, that something is shifting, that you would feel the rumblings of salvation, that you would feel the, the divine interruption, that you would feel like your life is being stirred on a pilgrimage. <laughs> Let's go to Bethlehem and see what God might do. Let's move, let's shake it up, let's, let's abandon the, the status quo, let's drop our staff and, and let's head into town and see what God is doing tonight. Friends, I'm, 
can you just like intercede with me right now that he'd wake us back up? Some of you have felt asleep at the wheel for two or three years. You remember when the fire was burning bright. You remember when it was easy to read the scriptures. You remember when you'd want to go to church. You'd remember when you'd want to read the Bible at nighttime to the kids. Or what, and, and it's just gone. It's okay to name that. Friends, can we be honest in the presence of God that sometimes that goes away and it feels like that'll never come back? And I'm here to say to you tonight, don't look now, but it's coming back. God is here to do the work, to wake us back up, to invade the darkness, to invade the loneliness, to invade the sadness with his salvific work. Isaiah 9, 730 years roughly before Jesus was born, the eagle-eyed prophet Isaiah, on this side of the cross, on the continuum of human history, he's looking forward, straining forward, and with the eyes of faith, Isaiah can see the flicker of light. He can see that something's coming. He's living in Israel's darkness. He's living in their exile. He knows what it's like for life to fall apart and the nation to fall apart, but Isaiah strains forward with the eyes of faith, and he says prophetically, but there will be no more gloom for those who were in anguish. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. So tonight I want to ask you, will you risk believing? Will you risk pressing in? Will you risk hope? Will you risk believing that it could change tonight, that God's afoot, that it may, it may not feel instant, but you know, in another week or so, you might just want to jump out of bed in the morning for the first time in a long time. You might want to get back to it. You might want to come to the prayer meetings again. You might want to open the Bible. Like, will you risk believing that the light of the world is coming into the darkness to stir you up? Will you risk believing that there can be healing in that relationship? And will you risk believing that there might be a new day for your body, for your, for your physical being, that you'd be strengthened? Tonight, the light is coming into the darkness. So church, will you stand with me right now? Would you get those candles? I'm gonna change the order here just a bit. This is where Pastor Brady always says, and now we're gonna give you fire in church. But tonight, I want us to press into this moment by faith. I want us to create a moment of response here. We're gonna sing, here I am to worship, light of the world. You step down into darkness. We're gonna bring these lights back down as we get the light, the candles going. Jacob, will you bring the house lights down? And let's sing this as an act of faith. This isn't just some cute little moment. I want this to be a time of intercession where you're saying, light of the world, come. Light, light of the world, light me up. Light of the world, bring warmth. Light of the world, change the story. Light of the world, dispel the darkness. And I want you to be thinking about the areas of darkness that are so easy for you to identify. And I want you to begin as we sing this to to pray into that, to intercede tonight that the light of the world would come and dispel the darkness. Let's worship the Lord together.